Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 161, episode one of The Daily Zeitgeist, a yeah. production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. It's Monday, November 23rd, 2020, uh, some 59, 58 days until January 20th, 2021. Uh, my name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. It's Daily Zeit. My name's Jack O'Brien. It's Daily Zeit. Ooh, Daily Zeit. That is courtesy of Chrissy on Gucci Mane. And I'm thrilled to be joined by today's special guest co-host. She is the hilarious, the talented Lil Zam herself, Jamie Lofton! A.K.A. sees the fucking hotels in Los Angeles. A.K.A. I learned that... Bill Gates and Rashida Jones started a podcast, and now I'm upset. Wait, what? I'm sorry. Bill Gates and Rashida Jones started a podcast together. Bill Gates and Rashida Jones started a podcast together. Why? I don't know. It doesn't compute for me. How did they meet? It's one of those things where it's (laughs) like, how do these two people know each other? What? How much, who is even selling out in this equation? Right. And I mean, I don't care enough about any. She's really interesting and I love her. And this is like, what are you, but what are you doing? But what is this? Wrote Toy Story 4. She just did that. She just did that. Like, that's my favorite movie of all time. And she just like, and I still forget like every, every time I watch it that she wrote it. And then I just, yeah. But a podcast with a billionaire in the year 2020, it's just like, what is going on here? That feels like a a Google camp match. Like they they were Google (laughs) camp roommates, you know? It sounds like a mad lib. (laughs) It really is. You're just like, who are two? Truly does. And so I have all those questions, but I don't care about the answers enough to actually listen to an episode Uh, of the show. So it'll, it'll remain a mystery. Well, we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat by the hilarious, the talented, the great Bridget Todd. Oh, I love the air horns. Thank you for that introduction. I, I, <laughs> I always feel I can like hear the air horns even when you're not actually doing them. So I appreciate yes. it. <laughs> uh, how are you? Yeah. How have you been? Things are good. Uh I feel like how are you is almost like a triggering question these days. Like, yeah. what do you? What is that supposed to mean? How am I? <laughs> <laughs> um, you are in D.C. I am uh, in D.C. Coming at you from Columbia Heights. Hell Columbia yeah. Heights. Uh, and is is there because that that city changes based on like the administration, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I moved. I lived in D.C. for a really long time. I moved here at the tail end of the Bush administration. I was here for both Obama administrations and the Trump administration. So I'm definitely, the city definitely changes based on the current administration. I can tell you that in, uh, when I was here for the Bush administration, you would see dudes walking around with like um, cowboy boots and like cowboy hats and like, um, what do you call those? Bolo ties. Yeah, Yeah. bolo ties. Like there was a real like weird Texas vibe because of George Bush. Yeah. So the the city definitely changes based on who is in office and like what kind of people are moving to the city for what kind of administration. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that's brutal. Are, are 
I wonder has, what Biden, what Biden yeah, boys are going to look like washing a around. lot of like, people is, with like really tight faces. Just, <laughs> maybe smiles. The veneer yeah. movement is finally going to touch down in DC. Yeah. I can um, see it. Yeah, I, has the changeover happened yet? Like, have uh, the MAGA folks vacated? People are just jubilant. Like, <laughs> I think it is, you know, when you live in D.C., it's like, you see these assholes around. Like, I saw Ivanka yeah. Trump outside of a Soul Cycle once, you know. You see uh. these people, like... I don't imagine that me and a lot of Trump administration officials are going to the same places, but every now and then you'll see them. If you go to like a fancy restaurant or something, you'll see officials like all my friends have planned out. Like, what would you say if you saw, you know, Jared Kushner out on the street? What would you do? Like, would you yell at him? What would you do? Uh, but the vibe in D.C. is pure jubilant. I'm talking people spraying champagne on the streets, people hanging out of cars, screaming, we cannot wait to be rid of this motherfucker and all of his cronies. <laughs> so we're just so happy. Yes. That were you in DC on election or not election day, but day of the day they called it? I was in DC the day it was called. Um it was so I, I think wait a minute. I think I came a a day later. Uh it was the vibe was still very jubilant. And honestly, like all my friends who were in DC when it was called they the the images they showed me the like videos they showed me people stood out on their balconies and banged pots and pans in celebration oh, the yeah. only thing that i could even compare it to is i happened to be in paris when france won the world cup I, that's the only <laughs> thing i could compare it to it was like that level of of collective joy like strangers <laughs> high-fiving in the streets Joy. The banging pots and pans is my favorite because it's just like so just infantile and just like da <laughs> I'm happy and just like yes. banging on it's, stuff. It's such a like yeah, it's such a like infantile expression of of happiness where you're like I just gotta make this loud noise. <laughs> <laughs> that rules. Oh, um, cool. All right, Bridget, we're gonna get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell. Our listeners, just a couple of things we're talking about. I feel like we breezed past the Giuliani press conference, so we're going to just check in with that one more time. Yeah, uh, we didn't talk there's... about his his seams at all, his like skin that's falling apart at the seams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and his uh, My Cousin Vinny uh, performance. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also <laughs> a, an underrated ghoul in the uh, background, his... Um, Powell, Sydney Powell is very uh, underrated and her background is interesting. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, St. Pope John Paul II. Uh, turns out he not not the best uh, guy in the world. So we'll talk about him. We'll talk. Uh, Jamie, you have a podcast yeah. coming out today about yeah. Lolita. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, the song You're Welcome and Alec Baldwin's sign that he put up at the end of SNL saying You're Welcome. All of that, plenty more. But first, Bridget, we like to ask our guest, what is something from your search history that is revealing, uh, that is embarrassing, that you don't want us to know about? Well, I don't know that I would say it's embarrassing, <laughs> but... It doesn't need um, Something that I have dedicated a lot of time to researching and reading every single comment about is Janet Huber, the original Aunt Viv on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. Uh, they just had a reunion on, I think, HBO Max. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, are they going to bring out Janet Huber? I don't know if y'all watched it, but 
Janet Huber and Will Smith finally buried the hatchet. And so I have been doing Whoa. some deep Googling. I need to know every every detail of this feud to like remind myself. She has held a grudge against him for like since the you know, 90s. This is this is this this beef has really aged. And I didn't realize that was still an active beef. Well, they buried the hatchet just this week, but it's been like if this beef was a child, it will be like 20 years old. Right. <laughs> it yeah. will be old. Yeah. Maybe it's Buy like it, I wonder if like Will Smith is in the reconciling mood because of his journey at the red table. Oh god, <laughs> remember that? Ooh. He's just like, just drag me. You guys oh. just Yeah, I mean it, it's interesting. Like the clip that I saw, she really, you know, was open about she was like, You said I was difficult and that really damaged my career. Like that's not a thing that somebody uh, a star can say about a woman of color and not have it like really damage her career. And like the fact, like that's kind of, I don't know that that's the sort of reconciliation that you don't usually get. Usually it's just them being like, yeah, but we're past it. And like, not like actually like bringing the, the actual damage to the foreground. I, I don't yeah. know. I'm, here. I'm, I'm really excited to watch the reunion now. Yeah, you should definitely watch it. It is, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I cried. It's. It was, mm. and also it's like quarantine vibes. So like everything is like hitting, at least me, everything is hitting me emotionally in, in ways that it maybe wouldn't before. But I think you're right. I think I was happy to see the conversation take that turn of like, well, what does it mean when you call a black woman difficult in Hollywood? It actually, it, it means a lot. It's not, You're not just casually doing that. Um, but then also it really got me thinking like, I a lot of us, myself included, like grew up on Fresh Prince. Like they kind of weirdly, even though it's a television show and they're fictional, they felt like family to me in a lot of ways. And watching them reunite now, and then talk about um, Uncle Phil who passed away, like you really see, like, oh wow, this is like I feel like I grew up with them in a kind of way. I know this is very cheesy, but no. it was just really hitting me in all the emotions. <laughs> That's a, I didn't realize that that was the grounds that their feud had been on. I just knew that they didn't like each other for some reason. I have to watch this. Yeah, yeah. you should definitely watch it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that either, and I, I applaud uh, her for like coming out and you know be like saying that to like one of the biggest, most powerful stars in Hollywood, and also him like leaving that in because it, yeah. it is like yeah. yeah. I think people realized a little bit more like the depth of of what happened there. Yeah, I didn't realize I just this is all just from the trailer, but that Uncle Phil was like a Shakespearean actor. And after the scene, yeah, yeah, after the scene where Will was like, why why doesn't he love me? Or uh, and like Uncle Phil like hugs him like he said into his ear. Now that's acting. I was like, that was was, (laughs) that's awesome. That. (laughs) <laughs> that was acting. That was so good. He now that you say he was a Shakespearean actor, everything about like his voice, his like the way he yeah. carries himself, you're yes. like, oh, that is Shakespearean Just actor. Just knocking energy. down that back wall with yes. that voice. Yeah. With that. And he had <laughs> such gravitas, right? Yeah. Like he really had a presence. And uh oh, and so then cool. Carlton, when he did the Carlton dance, he walked up to him and said, That's dancing. <laughs> no. uh, that's not true. Uh, what is something you think is overrated? Something I think is overrated. All of your listeners in Atlanta are not going to like this, but Uh-oh. T.I., y'all, 
I know that I know that we have speaking of the red table, TI has been brought to the red table before for mm. yes. you know oh, yes. his foolishness. But yeah. I something that he said recently that I just cannot abide. You know, he's he's not he's known for saying things that are a little bit out of pocket, but he in a in a, in a complex interview said that he does not need to wear masks to curb the spread of COVID because he drinks hot tea and hot beverages kill COVID in your throat before it, before like that you, because you because he drinks hot tea he doesn't need to wear masks and that listen, sounds like March <laughs> like exactly rhetoric <laughs> exactly and here's my thing I in like. I think that he needs to loudly and publicly correct this harmful misinformation. I think, you know, especially seeing as that he is such a popular figure in black communities and seeing how much black communities have been ravaged by COVID. It's just so irresponsible to get on your platform and spew dangerous falsehoods. Somebody somewhere is going to hear this and be like, oh, well, I don't need to wear a mask or I drink hot tea or... I have a good immune system or something. And I just think now is not the time to be amplifying harmful misinformation when it comes to COVID, particularly to black communities who have already been hit so hard. So, T.I., I'm sorry. I I, ugh, I really don't yeah. like it. What? That sums oh, it up. That's so disappointing. God damn it. That also just like... Of all the COVID myths that have like taken hold, that one is one of the laziest ones. You're just like, T? Right. What? <laughs> T. You have to imagine that you're just one, like one, co- like someone who's survived COVID being like, I, I, I too drank tea. And yet, yes. <laughs> if only I had had COVID. hot tea. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh no, I drink coffee. Like, it's like, what are you talking about? T.I., God damn it. What is something you think is underrated? Something I think is underrated is the lesser watched, less popular franchises in the Real Housewives uh, series. Oh. I just watched uh, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I don't know if you guys have seen any of it, but I I think you people should give it a chance. Uh, Potomac, I was a little bit late to the game on Potomac, but I was under the weather, so I spent some time getting caught up, and I think folks should give it a chance. It's under They're underrated. Mm. Damn. All right. There we talked about it a little bit on Friday as well uh with with Allison Rosen. It seems like it seems like it's sweeping. It's definitely sweeping my timeline at least. So I feel like yes. I just have to like start watching so I know what's going on. I'm having FOMO by not watching. Yes. Yeah. Let me give you a little preview for Salt Lake City. One of the castmates is married to her step-grandfather. So Yes, you heard that. You you heard that correctly. Uh, She is. Her grandmother died, and in her will, her grandmother spelled out that in order to get her husband, essentially, (laughs) was like, "I would like you to marry my husband," and so she does. So, so her husband is also her step grandfather. You heard that correctly. (laughs) What is the age difference? Oh, massive! Right. I mean, (laughs) so right. My head hurts. <laughs> so, people, oh, uh, I feel like I haven't <laughs> haven't done enough research into Salt Lake City. Not that uh, like that anecdote <laughs> is like, see, this is normal for Salt Lake City. But people, I keep hearing people being like, yeah, I hear Salt Lake City's beautiful, and uh, that's not like a thing that necessarily I had always heard, and I don't, I've never been there, so um, I need the to show. 
the show makes Salt Lake City look awesome. Like Does I've been it? there. I've been I've been there once for Sundance, and it was really beautiful. But you know, you go for a fest, like a film festival, and it's not really the same thing as going. But it, it the show makes Salt Lake City look like a very fun, beautiful place to live. Yeah, we have some of, some of the best uh, fans of of Zeit, Some of the best members of the Zeit Gang are are from Utah and Salt Lake City. Yeah, it's interesting. I've also like read an entire article about the city planning of Salt Lake City. So I've like I do know stuff about Salt Lake City and I just oh. don't I haven't like really like gone or uh I feel like I I need to do a deeper dive and by that I mean I need to watch Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. They That'll be an accurate portrayal. <laughs> I, they apparently uh shot an entire season of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City that they just scrapped. They're just like, yeah, we can't use this. It's not interesting enough. And then went back oh. and recast it with just the um, the people with the wildest backstories that they could find. Um, that makes so much sense because the women on this show are fucking wild. Like, they're all yeah. their backstories. Mary's backstory is obviously the wildest because she's married to her, her grandfather. Right. Um, but, you know, and also I should point out, Mary is not a Mormon, um, which is, you would think she would be, but she's not. Uh, but yeah, all of the women mm. have, I can see that they were casting for wildness for sure. So intense that's i can't imagine imagine being told that your entire season is being scrapped because you're too boring that's hard that's, that's what hard. happened with dc they had a dc se- they, had a, they had a they had a dc uh season that aired the the biggest like um the biggest plot line was that the um white house party crashers do you remember them yeah that couple yeah. that crashed the white house um state dinner that was like the mm-hmm. biggest plot line. And then I guess people thought it was too boring because like DC drama, it is kind of boring. Uh, right. Yeah, that was just it. They had one season, one and done. Wow. And that's not Potomac? That's different? No, or- Potomac is different. Potomac is much better, I would say. I didn't I didn't watch Potomac for a long time because it almost felt like a little too close to home. Like these women could be my mom's friends. It's like a certain kind of like bougie black lady that I was like, oh, this is a little too close to home. Mm. Uh, but it's definitely worth checking out. Mm. I thought um, one of these days I'm gonna watch a Housewives. It sounds like Salt Lake City is a fun place to start. Salt Lake City is a good place to start. If you if you were just like I'm trying to casually dip in just to you know get a little taste, it's mm-hmm. a good place to start. <laughs> Jamie, you've never watched a Real Housewives? No, I haven't. Wow, it's a big it's a big blind spot I have. That's that's amazing. That's you're. <laughs> I think you're one of the few Americans left. Maybe that ex- explains uh, your unique cultural perspective. Is that you? You're I just un- have lived un- a life free of housewives, unpickled by the housewives uh, <laughs> franchise. <laughs> uh, all right, let's take a quick break, and we'll come right back. And we're back, and the virus out of control. Um, instead of working with Biden to help the transition, Trump is actively sabotaging uh, the transition, not giving him access to any of the information that he would need to actively prepare to take over our battle against the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. I feel like Thanksgiving, you know, the CDC at the end of last week said you can't, you shouldn't travel basically for Thanksgiving. 
I'm also like starting to see, uh, and not just from uh, science science expert Ti, but I'm starting to see like studies that question whether masks like are enough uh, anymore, and not not like that you can just like go do anything with masks on, but that right. yeah, it, it seems like all the different things that were working before are now not really working anymore, or like you could get away with like taking risks before that you can't really get away with. Like there in the UK, there are studies saying that going to the grocery store is like the way people are all catching it now. Whereas that had seemed to be fairly safe, like before, not like safe that you could walk around without a mask on, but like going mm-hmm. with a mask and like PP and uh, getting in and getting out and like was a thing that you could do. And now they're saying that, might not be the case anymore just because it's so prevalent yeah i want i've been seeing stories to that effect i want to be like careful not to say because it's like this is all so far out of my area of knowing anything but it it does it seem like i'm trying to remember where i saw this story but that um it's becoming easy like you don't have to quote unquote make a mistake to contract the virus you don't need to show up maskless to an event it's like smaller groups are contracting it more easily just because it's so it's it's everywhere it's it's scary um i will find out where i i learned that because it was a legitimate news source but um, and then also something that i i was um just seeing from people that you know it's i hate that it's so normalize at this point but like someone's tweet that where they're like i found out i have covid19 uh we all know what these tweets look like um but the the kind of inherent shame that's attached to it where it's like at this point i mean there's just no it's so prevalent that it it kind of like breaks your heart on top of seeing someone have to have this disease and let it hopefully pass through them safely but also experience this shame and feeling of personal failure when it's like all they did was go to the store to get food to survive it's just uh yeah yeah i completely agree with you i think that's such an important thing to raise um i think that when it comes to conversations around quote like healthy bodies quote sick bodies we still have a lot of a lot of work to do in terms of like addressing ableism and stigma around illness just in general and how we ha- frame these conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get COVID, it is not a personal or moral failing, right? At this point, people are getting it who, like you said, like did, like they would, uh, they did everything right, quote unquote, so they thought, right? And so right. I think at this point, like it's very difficult to do, but I think what we need to remind ourselves is if we had a functional federal government that would pay people to stay home and pay businesses to stay closed and mm-hmm. incentivize making smart choices for your health and for your body, people wouldn't feel this way. But we've really been left on our own. And, you know, in the absence of that kind of strong federal leadership that we can all agree on, we're left to blame ourselves, blame each other, because we don't have some sort of centralized leadership making response, hel- helping people make responsible choices to keep us safe. And so yeah. it's an it's a natural inclination to be like, oh, well, what did I do to cause this? Or this person was irresponsible, they caused this. All of that is just is, is understandable, but it is taking away from the fact that we don't have strong federal leadership to be dictating a, a, a response to keep us safe. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about what they're doing instead. 
<laughs> tweeting about how they were cheated. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I mean this this press conference that happened, I think, last Thursday is kind of an all time iconic <laughs> just crystallization of uh of everything that's going on with this administration. So Giuliani and Trump's other legal team, Sidney Powell, who's a lawyer who also defended Enron executives back when that Sick. happened in the early 2000s, which I feel like there, there's a similarity there in that Enron executives basically like took the concept of money and like deconstructed it and like scammed it. They were like, yeah, no, we can basically speculate that this is going to be worth this much money. And they basically were able to name how much money they had in their in their bank accounts. It was like a scam that was like basically undercut the entire base that uh, capitalism is based on. And like Trump is doing the mm -hmm. same thing with democracy. Like so this this woman, I feel like, is just always there when chaos is being sown in a way that is going to inevitably like dissolve our country. Someone's um, showing up in the background of a picture at every yeah, historical event kind yeah. of thing. You're like, yeah, oh. exactly. <laughs> but I just the the theater of Rudy Giuliani, I, I feel like we need to take a moment to appreciate. He so he comes out and begins just sweating profusely, like in a way that at first you see it just all over his face and he's like uh, hankying himself off. But then, like, there's like hair dye like leaking down the sides of his face in a in a way that makes it look like he's like a ventriloquist no. dummy or something. Uh, yeah, melting for sure. There is a um, lot of there. There is a lot of good tweets about this. There, it, I I enjoyed the Twitter discourse on this. Someone someone said. Uh, what are Republicans turning back into putting a picture of that next to like a picture of Lindsey Graham, who's also decomposing at an alarming rate. Uh, what else? Yeah. A lot There's... of people pointed out that it looked like Zorg from Fifth Element. <laughs> Another person was like, this is why you hire uh, union makeup artists. And there's just there is a lot of good jokes. Yes. So I actually don't think it's hair dye. I, I think like. So here's my thing. If it's hair dye, he would have had, I don't know if you've ever self-dyed your hair. I, I don't recommend it, yeah. but if you've, if you've done it, like he would have had to have just, for it to be that runny and that thick, he would have had to have like just done it and then like gone on stage. So like maybe he was using that like, um that like quick stuff. It kind of looks like mascara, that stuff that you like kind of cake onto your hair just to cover the roots to, to do a quick job. But like yeah. if, okay. if it was hair dye, he must have like, Do, like done it and then gone right on onto the podium because it's, it's so thick, you know. Yeah. yeah. DJ Daniel is our uh, correspondent on the street for this story. <laughs> uh, he's been following all the latest rumors and he's been doing uh, deep background for yeah, stuff. Deep, yeah, deep background on this. And he said that <laughs> uh, some people think that it's mascara he was using to touch up his sideburns to match the hair. Um, which, when you look at it, like it's really it. It looks like he just painted the side of his hair like that yes like just literally yeah. used paint to um, i see it dj so, daniel on the on the hair mascara beat <laughs> that's right uh <laughs> this is he always how i has learned been. hair that's mascara actually, was a thing <laughs> that's why we brought him on uh in the first place was his uh extensive experience with uh hair mascara 
Um, but so Sydney Powell, uh, who has been like from day one, she's been this the person who has immediately started throwing out conspiracy theories. In addition to Enron, she was defending Michael Flynn, and she's also full QAnon. Like she's been retweeting QAnon like thought leaders, I guess, for for a long time, thrown out wild Q conspiracies over the whole Trump administration. So Tucker Carlson, famous left-wing journalist Tucker Carlson, asked her to come on to like, you know, present her case. He was like, we would have even given her the whole hour to like present the evidence that would have made the case to our obviously incredibly friendly audience like that uh, there was fraud happening. And Carlson said, uh, but she never sent us any evidence, despite a lot of requests, polite requests, not a page. When we kept pressing, she got angry and told us to stop contacting her, <laughs> um, which is really unbelievable that she's like, God, these left wing journalists at Fox, at Tucker Carlson's show won't leave me alone. That is really galaxy brain rhetoric. Yes. Uh <laughs> She never demonstrated that a single actual vote was moved illegitimately by software from one candidate to another. Not one. This is actual Your Tucker's quotes getting real from, good. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Uh, these are actual quotes from a actual episode of the Tucker Carlson show. Like they're they're just like I I think they're confused. They're like, why isn't she coming on and proving the the fraud? The fraud obviously happened because the president said it did. Why, where, where's it? Just show us the evidence. Why wouldn't they? Um, they also claimed that it was a conspiracy involving George Soros uh, oh. and uh, the Venezuelan government because they, they just have a hat that they pull. Yes, really, they really toting out the hits there. Jesus yeah. Christ. I yeah. mean, this is this is a tactic of theirs, right? Let me just throw a bunch of random conspiracy theories to the wall and see what hits. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if they make sense. It doesn't matter if some of them contradict each other. Uh, right. Let me just see what happens. Um, yeah, that is a tactic to just overwhelm people with a bunch of nonsense mm -hmm. and hope some of it catches. Yeah. I mean... So experts are pointing out, like, the the computer thing that she is really uh, going hard on, that, like, the votes were hacked. Mm -hmm. Like, th the experts are saying, like, you could say that literally about any election. And from now on, any loser will probably say that about, like, the election that they lost in. At least any, like, Republican uh, candidate who loses will from now on be saying that computers might have been, been hacked. hacked. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most unfortunate way to bring the hacker aesthetic back into the into mainstream well, culture. Well, Jamie, you're a, you're a hawk. You're a hawker. I'm a <laughs> you're hawker. a hacker. What 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 hacks? Yeah, what's your take on on all this? We at the hacker we in the hacker community uh as as both a hacker and a coder I cannot vouch for for any of this because I'll tell you why keyboard firewall uh what else is there uh screen and uh DSL I think that if there was DSL involved we'd have something to talk about here but yeah there's so on behalf of the hacker community I'd like to say uh keyboard motherboard uh 
and there's been no hacking. Yeah. Can I just add mainframe? Yeah, they might have jacked into the mainframe. Uh, And 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 to conclude, I am in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in. Yeah, it's just, it's it's so sad to see, you know, I have to say this is such a sad day for our democracy that like people that, that, that like the rhetoric of a rigged election, quote unquote, or like illegal votes, the fact that that has been, been getting mainstream legit, like legitimacy is is really a travesty. Like there have been plenty of presidents that I didn't agree with, but you didn't have them out here saying that our our democratic system is rigged against them. Like that is such a a different thing. And yeah, I just think that it is so beyond the pale of what we should expect, even from shitty politicians. Like it's just, it's just so unacceptable. Yeah. And I also have to say, like, I have to, I, for my day job, I have to watch quite a bit of Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson, I hate to give him this. He's, he's like playing his cards. He is being a savvy a savvy person in that I think he's very clearly setting himself up as like, well, I'm the only one you can trust here. Like Trump, Mm -hmm. you can't trust him. His team is lying. Trust me, Tucker Carlson. I have your best interests at heart. And I don't think it's been terribly ineffective as much as I hate his guts. I I have to say, like, I think he's playing a long game. Yeah. Carlson 2024. Yeah. Um, He he really uh, could be our next president. Yeah. I yeah I and it's like even going back I for, I I like did a deep dive on what his career was a couple of years ago because unfortunately I worked at Playboy when he did the Playboy interview. Uh, the so definitive I, Tucker Carlson Playboy interview. It was the most frustrating two months of my fucking life. Uh, but but yeah, like even learning how he's been strategically playing his cards for so long where it's like he used to hold pretty different political views, but he just like rolls with it and then justifies stuff on the back end by any means necessary. And like, yeah, unfortunately I I totally agree, Bridget. He's like, he's savvy in a way that you're like, Oh, this, this seems dangerous. Yeah, definitely. And can we also just point out the fact that um, let's not forget that John Stewart made fun of him for wearing bow ties. And he, then he, like switched up his entire style. Stopped wearing those bow ties as soon as he was called out. I didn't forget about it. So I just worked with that out. I didn't know that. Oh, that he is. Used to wear, his whole thing was wearing little like striped little bow, bow ties. ties. Yeah. And then yeah. in that interview um, where Jon Stewart basically just like the destroyed him, interview. Crossfire, yeah. he was like, Tucker, you're a grown man wearing a bow tie. You don't yeah. see him wearing bow ties you. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> No, oh, that's going to be the new uh, villain origin clip that's played if if Carlson runs is the same thing of Trump at the White House Correspondents Dinner. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he's also like willing to be economically populist. Like that was the thing mm-hmm. that Trump like the when he lost, I feel like was when he just kind of became disconnected from uh, all the stuff that he ran on 2016 of being a economic populist and was instead like, you know, doing tax cuts for all of his friends and like Tucker Carlson, like criticized him at that point, which I was like, Oh, that was the first time I was like, Oh, I'm a little bit scared of him as a political force. All right. Uh, also can we insert the, uh, Rudy Giuliani's my cousin Vinny, uh, impersonation just because it's, such a str- 
It's like a yes, child me. doing an adult voice. Uh, I, he starts just saying, you remember when like my cousin Vinny's like, how many fingers do? But then he like stops himself and is like, how many fingers do I got up? And it's like, wait, what What the fuck did what did what just happened there? We could do like a uh, did you all watch my cousin Vinny? Did, you know, the movie, my, it's one of my favorite uh, law movies because he comes from Brooklyn. And uh, when the, the nice lady who said she saw and then he, uh, he he says to her, how many f- fingers do I how many fingers do I got up? The fact that we that Rudy Giuliani like fucks up so regularly that people have stopped talking about his turn in Borat 2 is truly historians will be boggled in the future. Yeah. Be like, wait a second. Didn't Borat 2 come out like <laughs> that three week? weeks ago? <laughs> <laughs> and now he's done 45 ridiculous, horrible things since then. And everyone just kind of was like, well, I guess we have to move on because now he's doing my cut. He's like Tucker Carlson. He's just, but he's just flooding you with like yeah. bullshit I mean, that also is, it's not strategic. I don't know what the strategy could it, possibly maybe be. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it's that we talked before about how uh, it is an actual Bannon strategy that he mm. calls flooding the zone with shit. Um, very, very uh, smart and eloquent. Uh, where you just like throws that's right flooding the pants with shit (laughs) approach to fashion uh and flooding the torso with shirts he uh he has so many (laughs) shirts he wears like seven shirts at the same time uh but yeah i mean maybe he's just like fucking up constantly so that the him laying down in a underage person's uh hotel bed claiming he was tucking his shirt, but reaching into his pants is like the fifth thing in our memory. Uh, the the zone has been flooded with shit. Yeah. Anyways, uh, ho- <laughs> shout out to uh, my cousin Vinny, which yes, the hardest uh, uh, I've ever seen my grandfather laugh. Oh, well, it's such a cousin. classic. <laughs> yeah. I'm just happy we're all talking about, uh, we're all talking about my cousin Vinny, and I hope that we can use it as a springboard to talk more about Marissa Tomei, because she's so yes. good in that movie. She's- She's so good in everything. Every movie. She's so good in every movie. Yeah. That's also uh, somebody. Uh, I'll, I'll find the tweet, actually. I don't want to take somebody's observation without crediting them. Um, but they were pointing out that like her Oscar win was seen as like illegitimate and people made up a like election conspiracy theory <laughs> when she was the rightful winner. Okay, real quick, I do want to talk about just uh, the the Catholic Church. So they they just did this investigation. Uh, the Vatican did an investigation into an American bishop, cardinal, whatever, like one of the big main church president guys for America, who was a serial sexual predator. And what they found out was that Pope John Paul II, who was my pope when I was a kid. Uh, I was was JP too, Uh, but people informed him that this guy was a serial sexual predator and uh, John Paul II was like, nah, fam, it's cool. And they have since like sainted him. He's now seen as a saint. He's officially a saint in the Catholic church. And he was basically like the Joe Paterno of, uh, of the Catholic church. Just let, let this dude continue to be in a position of power after people were like he uh makes 
people who like other priests who work for him, like sleep in his bed and he has had these accusations against him. And like the, the report from the Catholic church is like, yeah, but Pope John Paul II like came up in a communist world where uh, the communists were slandering bishops as sexual predators just to, you know, because communists hate church and, uh, I feel like that only makes me think that they were right and that those bishops probably were sexually abusing minors. Like it doesn't, that's not just I mean, the Catholic church does not have a a good track record on that. Like, I think it's pretty like a pretty bullshit argument to be like, no, at this specific point in history, it was actually nothing was happening. Right. uh, Because of, because communism. I just, this is so... Oops, like at at I don't know. I like grew up Catholic briefly and then yeah. we kind of defected it ha- halfway through. Uh but it just I mean everything you hear especially about the higher up um area of, of the Catholic Church it just seems like unreformable. Like it mm-hmm. just is it uh, at at I feel like at the very very least it demonstrates that you're complicit in something and at worst you're perpetrating it it's just yeah oh it's so it's it that story was so unsurprising yeah um because you have to imagine i mean every pope is complicit on on some level um unless they outright condemn it across the board and actually try to do something about it right um well it's upsetting i I went to catholic school uh my catholic high school has had a lot of trouble. They're they're like, they send these very urgent fundraising emails that are like, we need money, we're going to close. And the reason why is because people don't want to send their children to Catholic schools to be educated. People like they, like the Catholic church, rightly so, is having an image problem. So they are having a financial like crisis because of that. And mm-hmm. it's, I can't blame people. It's like, who would, who would want to give money? Who want to get involved? Like it is, really upsetting. And I, I think, Jamie, you, you said that you thought that it was sort of unreformable. I completely agree. I think any organization or institution where it's all men at the highest levels and there's no women involved in like leadership, something's, mm. something's not right. Like that is just like too, I don't know. I guess I just don't trust whether it's the military, the government or the Catholic church. If there are not, <laughs> if, if there's no, if there's not enough women at, in, in leadership positions, something's up. Like, yeah. I don't yeah. trust it. It's too, it's like not. Especially if not there good. haven't been for like millennia. It's just. Yes. Like, right. And, and, and like, to be clear, I'm not t- talking about Catholics as a group, like obviously express your religion, however you like, but something is stinky at the top of the Catholic church in particular (laughs) the hottest take (laughs) something is stinky quote me on that (laughs) oh man (laughs) when when you said you practice your religion however you want i immediately pictured the guy from da vinci code just whipping his own back um (laughs) yeah well there's uh, there's the alfred molina connection he's in the da vinci code Right. Um, I have. I only saw the Da Vinci Code once, and I could not tell you a single thing that happens in that movie. Yeah. 
Uh, it's what a, were we doing in 2006? <laughs> were, were we okay? Like, why was everyone reading the Da Vinci Code? It's such a bad book. It's like unbelievable how how bad it is. Um, I've never read it. Oh, don't. I remember You're... reading it in the bath for some reason, which is I was <laughs> I was like, why did I read the Da Vinci Code in the bath? It's not a bath book. <laughs> um, and I I have no idea what happened. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break, and we'll come right back. And we're back. And Jamie, you have a new podcast out on this very day uh, mm. about kind of one of the central cultural texts uh, in recent modern american history yeah so i have a, a podcast that's uh started releasing today called lolita podcast and it is about um not just the history of the book but kind of how the um the titular character has been taken so far out of context um in all of the adaptations in all of the ways that she's remembered in uh music and movies and aesthetically and so the show is, is basically tracing what that is, uh, why that happened, who, you know, what kind of cultural um, factors were at play here. Because it's, a, you know, it's, I guess I wanted to ask you both first what your experience with Lolita is, if, if anything. Yeah. I, so first of all, I cannot wait to hear this podcast. Holy shit, what a good concept. Um, yeah, I have a, I have, it's so like, I almost feel weird talking about it. So I read Lolita when I was pretty young mm -hmm. and I do think it kind of, it, it was not, like, it was not assigned reading in my high school, but I know for some high schools it was. I think I just like picked it up and read it. I was really attracted to the heart-shaped sunglasses, which I know is like the iconic yeah. thing. Um, it definitely early on in my young like adulthood, set me up for this idea that like, oh, relationships between young women and older men are, you know, fodder for romance or like intellectualism. Mm -hmm. And like, it, it, it kind of normalized those relationships for me very early on. Um, mm -hmm. So I've read the book and I've seen both, I think there's something to both film adaptations, yeah. the um, Jeremy Irons adaptation with, um, is it Dominique Swain? I think yeah, 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 yeah. And then the Stanley Kubrick uh, adaptation, which I actually quite enjoy, but like I probably should be a little more critical of that enjoyment. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I would say I, even as someone who consumed the books and the films, I think the impact that it had culturally is like really clear. This idea that, you know, like I, I, it's, it's, it's like fucked up to say, but like I, I am like very drawn to film that, plays with kind of like that dynamic. Like if you've ever seen that movie with Alicia Silverstone, The Crush, yes, you know, like when yes. I was, when I was coming up, like those were movies that I always really liked. And mm -hmm. looking back now, I wonder like, how did the normalization of those kinds of dynamics through things like Lolita set us up for like really toxic and most importantly, like uncritically examined dynamics when it comes to gender and like relationships. Totally. Oh, that's so that's so interesting. Uh, yeah. Jack, what what is what is your experience with this I'd, with this text with this idea? This cultural text. Yeah. Uh, it's very very surface level. 
it wasn't like assigned to me. I never was forced to read it. And I always, there's just so many books I haven't read. That, like I, I always like, if there's a, just some small thing pushing back, like, I don't know. I always felt weird because it feels like pervy, like the, the subject matter felt <laughs> pervy to me as like a, a teenager and a college student. But there was also always this like intellectual heft of like people being like, this is one of the great novels in the English language. But I feel like then the, the way the culture kind of reinterpreted it makes it kind of not like, I don't know. I feel like if I had to guess, which is what it, my only, uh, cause I haven't seen the movies and I haven't read the novels I guess the novel is like great and a critique of like the sorts of uh, masculinity that and just like uh, predatory uh, behavior that is like at the center of it. But then American culture just like managed to uh, completely fuck up the uh, how they take and reproduce that that story. Totally. Yeah, that's so that's kind of where I start out is I think that that it, there's there's a lot of truth to that even though it's uh, Nabokov certainly like there's like stuff to talk about in regards to I don't know just like he he had some shortcomings he was not I think uh something that a lot of people assume about the book was like well was the author like a a criminal and the answer is no but then the answer but then the next question is, well, then why write a book like this? What is what function does that serve? Is it useful at all? And so I I came to the book when Lemony Snicket recommended it in, in like <laughs> 2004. And I really liked Lemony Snicket and I didn't know what the book was about. And then I read it and I was like, oh, fuck. Right. Like, and similar to you, Bridget, I, I think I uh, had a lot of bad takeaways from it uh in a way that was like I, I think I was like too young to be reading it and then just I don't know all this all this stuff that's at play there so I Jack you're you're right that it's the culture takes it out of context almost immediately and it's kind of the show is kind of tracing why because the book is extremely difficult and triggering and it's like I mean, rereading it back as an adult is it's like it's heartbreaking. And, you know, we're now like closer to the age of Lolita's parents than than her. And, and just plugging yourself into the story is, is really difficult. But then like what's been interesting is digging into like, well, who was the first person to frame it as a love story? And where does it go from there? And like the stuff I've been uncovering is it it like hurts my head but uh the i'll give you two little morsels and Ooh, the first I love one morsels. you love you love a morsel mm. uh so one of the first people to like break lolita because it was a really difficult book to get published because it was at the end of the mccarthy era you could literally be taken to court for addressing taboos in a book whether the book is good or bad uh, so it finally gets published and the reason it gets famous is because this famous critic named Graham Greene says it's a beautiful love story and like it, this is one of the best books and you gotta read it and that's part of why it gets famous 
And so I was like, okay, let's find out about this Graham Greene character. Uh, I wonder if he understood what the book was about. And you go back into his history and you find out that it's a part of his, it's been kind of well hidden, but he was once fired from a magazine about 10 years before Lolita came out, maybe even sooner, uh, for talking about Shirley Temple in this very sexualized way when Uh. she was nine years old. And so even like the guy who made the book, you know, like legitimized it in this literary sense, didn't know what it was about. And it's like, it just, uh, there's so many little examples like that throughout the history of this book where uh, the story is perpetuated over and over and over. And it's almost always by someone who hasn't taken in what it's the, it feels like the, the the book's very clear message is. And so that is the show with the, with the Kubrick stuff there. It news broke literally last month that um, the, uh, the producer of that movie was sexually abusive towards the actress who plays the star Jeez. Or who plays Lolita? There's it. It just goes real. Like there is such a negative history associated with a book that I I think at its core. And I talked to a lot of people. I talked to like a um, child abuse therapist. I talked to a lot of people who argue that the book itself is useful to exist while it is triggering and and there's certainly like a lot to unpack with the book. But the the wild out of context that has been going on for like 70 years that still kind of hasn't been corrected um, is is what the show is about. And it hurts my head. And uh, and that's the show. There, I can't even wait to listen to this. <laughs> there's so much. The, the Jeremy Irons movie is like, poof, there's a clip of Jeremy Irons doing the press junket for that movie being like... I don't see what the big deal is. And you're like, remember Jeremy! That. I remember uh, that. Uh, I mean, and he's like notoriously an asshole, but like he just so, like his attitude is so 90s-y cavalier of like, well, you know, a four, he, talking about Dominique Swain, he's like, well, you know, a 14-year-old in California, they know everything. So, you know, kind of, and just this Ugh. very... A real and, Claire Culty, that one. Uh, literally, <laughs> It it just it it blows my mind how how everyone who has been given this story to adapt has demonstrated clearly that they don't know what the story is about, and so the wrong message is perpetuated over and over and over. There's a Broadway musical that is written by the guy who wrote My Fair Lady that never debuted, but uh, there there is like some the lyrics to some of those songs are unbelievable. Who, who is that viper who likes them post diaper is yeah, one of yeah. the lyrics. It's disgusting. And yet the songs are catchy. It, Edward Albee wrote a version of it. It's just uh, David Mamet wrote a draft of a screenplay. Just everyone who you would be, would, who would be at the top of your list as like the last person that would you take would in the message. The that. last person has been involved in some way over right. the past 65 years. Why is it always like old like people who are the age of the criminal and not right. like women who are doing like that's who should be interpreting the story, not uh, Stanley Kubrick and people who could be Stanley Kubrick if 
<laughs> you showed me a picture of them, I'd be like, yeah, maybe that's Stanley Kubrick. It's like and, and, old, and oldish like, white guy. And not even just like oldish white guys, but oldish white guys who already have a notoriously bad track record right. uh, dealing with women, children, or both. Like right. just what Adrian Line directs the 1997 version, and he, oh, what I always forget the the Glenn Close movie. Oh, um, Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. He. Oh like, my God. You're just like, well, that's well, that's not gonna be a good fit, right? The, <laughs> it's just. So um, sorry, I just like rant about this because it's all I think about anymore. But it basically I, I'm I'm trying to find what is the value in this story? Is it salvageable um, right. for us in any way? And then also going into like there's a lot of Internet subcultures that are dominated by uh, women and girls surrounding this book and, and kind of these reclaiming efforts that are ta- that have been taking place online over the past 10 to 20 years that are pretty interesting to to get into as well. So that's so fascinating. Yeah. I think it really it really does exist at a really interesting intersection of like culture, literature, uh, film, history. Like, you know, this is a very interesting um, thing to be examining. And I, and I remember after the Adrian Lyne version of the film, I remember I, I was quite taken with Dominic Swain as a, a young actress. I think when that film yeah. came out, we were around the same age. And it's interesting to me, the films that she made after were sort of similar, that like films where she was like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a young girl, like exploring the big, like the big world of sexuality and blah, blah, blah. And I almost, I I, I don't know, but I almost felt like doing Lolita as her first breakout role kind of pigeonheld her or pigeonholed her in a kind of way for like people wanting to see her be a certain kind of, a certain kind of... People wanted to see her exhibiting a certain kind of young female sexuality in certain kinds of roles. And so I just wonder, like, the sort of cultural undertow of Lolita, like, it must be very yeah. strong. Like, people must really, yeah. like, it just must really have a lot of weight, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I feel yeah. like the just, you know, straight, old, white, cultural hegemony, like, that men have just pushed... Like, for instance, Face Off was the other movie that came out the same year as Lolita. And she's uh, in that. She's like the teenage daughter in that. And there's a scene where John Travolta, who is actually not her father, she he just is wearing her father's face but uh, it, because that's a great movie. Always uh, hearing that movie recaps, you're just like, so, right, 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 right. But like he like lusts after her and like, like had there's like a weird like moment of of that i just yeah it's like there there is a gravitational pull of of that whole yeah just pervy horny old gross men who run hollywood and all like forms of and publishing and uh, all those things yeah. and did for the entire 20th century. Like the late seventies was a real wild time for that. Like if you look at just the ads, like that was when the, yeah. uh, the Brooke Shields ad where she's mm, like 13 baby, and like yeah. starts being, yeah, there there's literally a ad where, uh, where there's a woman dressed as like a doll and the ad she's like licking a lollipop and it says nothing sexier than a baby 
Like that's that's an actual ad from the seventies. There are that so I found. many things sexier than a baby. Everything, everything <laughs> is sexier everything than a baby. baby. Literally, <laughs> everything is sexier than a baby. Every um, yeah, everything it it, it it everything it perpetuates is just like there's and there's all these like bizarrely specific. Uh, I have a whole episode where I talk to actresses who have played Lolita at some point in their careers, and there is like these this kind of through line of. Exactly what you're describing, Bridget, of like once you played this role, you can't get out from underneath the like cultural weight of it. And you never see that with the actors who play Humbert or Quilty who are playing mm. literal pedophiles. Right. But it's like Jeremy Irons is totally fine. James Mason played him in 1962. Donald Sutherland has played him before. Like none of these men ever struggle to work. But in almost every single case, it doesn't always obliterate your career but it's like a setback almost in a way that it shouldn't be it doesn't like it 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 is it is so frustrating but there's so many ways that i mean even with sue lyon who played her in 1962 being molested by the producer of the movie that's unbelievable yeah i mean it's not unbelievable it's actually very believable unfortunately the worst case scenario that's like exactly what you would would expect yeah. yeah. So so there's a lot. It's nine, possibly 10 episodes that kind of each episode kind of takes a different perspective or examines a different adaptation. And um, yeah, check it out if uh, if that's something you're interested in. It's really amazing. I cannot I cannot wait to listen to this. I'm going to listen to it. I see the trailer. I was like Googling. I can see the trailer is up. I'm listening to the trailer as soon as we get off the air. I cannot wait. Hell yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Uh yeah yeah I'm I'm excited about it I'm also I also have like a phone line open for anyone who like is reading it for the first time as they're listening or like rereading it there's like this um, kind of amazing like talking to people who have read it multiple times over the years and the first time they read it they identified with uh, Lolita the second time they realized that Humbert is a clear cut pedophile and then the third time they relate with her mother when they have kids of their own there's just kind of this whole your relationship with the material really tends to like change as you get older. It's really interesting. I don't know. Yeah. It's super interesting. Um, all right. Well, Bridget, it has been a pleasure having you as always. Uh, where can people find you and follow you? Oh, the pleasure is all mine. You can find me on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC. You can find me on Twitter at Bridget Marie. And you can subscribe to my podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet, on this very network, iHeartRadio, if you want to have awesome conversations about underrepresented communities and how we show up on the internet. And I would love to have you there. Yeah. yeah. Um, Is there a tweet or some other work of social media you've been enjoying? Oh, there is. So Twitter (laughs) user dfank underscore bu pointed out that the Texas Tech football team recruits uh, have really wild sounding names, names like Maverick McKiver or uh, Mason McHorse. And I was thinking, <laughs> gee, those are some interesting names. Somebody replied to that tweet and they said, oh, you're really sleeping on the Texas men's lacrosse names. Just to give you a couple of these names, these are real lacrosse players' names. I looked them up myself. Like at We've University of Texas? It's at Texas Tech. Texas Tech, okay. We have Shackleford Standwick Sr., Ah, whoa. Quinn, Quinn Commandment, Declan Smartwood. Uh, 
Dallas Creamer, which is my personal favorite. Dallas Creamer? Dallas Creamer. Yeah, these names are so fucking good. Wheaton Jackaboys. (laughs) That's actually a close personal friend of mine, but. Really? uh, Yeah. Oh, that's not, so this funny. Makes me miss Key and Peel. I know. Oh my god, yes. I, it's anything that like. Well, here's my thing about that is like I people love to make like jokes about how black folks have unusual names. Rich white people do the same thing. So I just love that this really underscores that like oh, rich white people they have some wild names. <laughs> we had a person at my school who was like the best lacrosse player on the women's team named. Wickliffe Stanwick, uh, and that that has gone down in history. And my friend one time was having a awkward conversation with her and said, "This con- so her name was Wick Stanwick, and he said this conversation is awkward, Stan awkward." Um, <laughs> Yo, do you think Wick was related to the men's what- cross player Shackleford Stanwick? Yeah, I think it might be because they are Stanwick. I Stan can't. the Stanwick family are uh are lacrosse uh royalty. Oh my I, I'm God. not sure if you're aware. Yo, um, if anyone has any insights into these, like like please get at me on my personal social media accounts. I want to talk about that's... if you if you have any insights into like lacrosse royalty, I need to know everything. Yeah. All God. the guys were named like Trevor or Tyler or Skyler or some shit like that at when I was in college, but uh, they this is the next generation the the evolutionary lacrosse name uh, <laughs> Dallas Creamer fucking rules. I want to uh, meet this person so badly. Yeah, Dallas shout out to Dallas Creamer. Creamer. What is what has Dallas Creamer's life been like? <laughs> <laughs> fucking tight, dude. Um, Jamie, where can people find you, and what's a tweet you've been enjoying? Uh, you can find me on twitter.com at Jamie Loftus Help, Instagram at Jamie Christ Superstar. What's a tweet that I like? All my liked tweets are very depressing right now. I know, um, me too. I know. Sometimes you're just like, oh, damn, these were all, these were all faved for, for sad reasons. Uh, Let's see. I'll go. I'll go with this one uh, from Eric Francisco at Eric Francisco twenty four. Didn't expect to wake up this morning and find Edward Norton's third eye wide open and Galaxy Brain activated, but here we are. There's <laughs> Edward no- Norton had uh, at the time of this recording a very specific thread about what he thinks Donald Trump is is doing uh, that didn't not make sense but it was just like edward norton why why right. you right um that's the tweet i'm picking hmm. and speaking of edward norton underrated the 25th hour starring edward norton oh i love that i've movie. never seen it oh check it out but also doesn't he have is that the one where he has a like girlfriend in high school or he meets a girl oh he oh shit he meets, he, it's Rosario Dawson, and their origin story is they met when she was in high school. And he's God like at a playground. It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. playground. <laughs> it really yeah, it is. Always, everywhere. It always comes back yeah, to Lolita. It really does. It really does. Oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> a tweet that I've been enjoying uh, Miles Khan at Miles Khan tweeted I am no longer impressed that Sasha Baron Cohen tricked Rudy Giuliani. 
Um. Oh, I wanted to, I forgot. I also wanted to shout out uh, something else about Sasha Baron Cohen, which is just an interview that Helena Bonham Carter did last year, where she was just asked about her past co-stars. And she was nice to everybody except for Sasha Baron Cohen, um, who she said, he needs a lot of attention, doesn't he? And that's what she said about him. (laughs) Oh my I god! I love her. Like she's that say at all. <laughs> she really just uh, laid Mister Borat out to he? dry, <laughs> doesn't he? And she's so British that it was just like right. Whoa. It was that is the wild. dirtiest you can possibly do <laughs> with a so... British accent. I mean, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and website, DailyZeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, where we link off to the information that we talked about uh, in today's episode, as well as the song. We ride out on, and we're going to ride out on another song from Open Mic Eagle. This one is called Relatable. Uh, it's a little older, but uh, as super producers, Anna Hosni, I said, it's a bop. Uh, so I, I also use cool phrases like that. Um, the Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That's going to do it for this morning. We'll be back this afternoon to tell you what is trending. Uh, I think Miles will be back for that one. Uh, so we'll talk to y'all then. Bye. Bye. Relatable. I'm hella relatable. That's hella legit and not really debatable. I live in your neighborhood. That guy you shit talking is right there in back of you. So try to act natural. Remember that movie, they all gonna laugh at you. It's so understandable. Sometimes when I'm social, I feel incompatible. I live in the capital. I live in the forest, it's green and it's magical. I live international, I am not rational. Damn it, I'm just so illogical. I don't wear a monocle. I don't know which sequels are truly canonical. I'm sorry, don't follow you. I promise I truly can really.